WBSM presents Spooky South Coast with your hosts, Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. Good evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and science advisor Matt Moniz. Here to talk with you about the paranormal as we are each and every Saturday night. Now, for the last few weeks, we've been uh, promoting tonight's guest, Nick Redfern, uh, who, if you know anything about the paranormal, you have seen Nick Redfern in some way, whether it be reading one of his many books or seeing him on one of the many television specials in which he appears. There's a little problem tonight. See, Nick lives, despite the accent, (laughs) Nick lives in Texas. Uh, He's from the U.K. originally, but he lives in Texas now, and there's been some bad, bad weather there. Uh, over the last few days, and there is no power where Nick lives, which, you know, is good because you get to get back to basics and spend some time with the family and, you know, have a nice, you know, old-fashioned little house in the prairie kind of Saturday night. But that also means that we have to reschedule him for the show. So uh, we will be having him uh, sometime in the future. I know he's still trying to work it out with Chris. I, th- I think he was running out of cell phone power and laptop power, so we didn't get the chance to actually finalize things. But uh, as soon as we know, we'll let you know. Uh, but meanwhile, that means that tonight we're going to have what we like to call paranormal potpourri, where we kind of just throw a bunch of things together and we talk about a bunch of different things. So we're going to talk with our content director, Chris Balzano. And I know that he was saying in the chat room on Spooky TV, which you can get to by going to SpookySouthCoast.com and clicking on the Spooky TV uh, link up in the corner, and then you can see the video, and you can see all of us here, and well, we've got our many shots. There's Matt Moniz for you, and uh, let's do a quick shoot over to Matt Costa there so everybody can see. Hey, there you go. So uh, you can actually see what's going on in the studio, uh, but Chris, you were saying in the chat room, let's bring him up here. Chris, you were saying in the chat room that you had... Uh, something planned for the second hour? Is that something you want to give away? Uh, no, because it is not a definite yet. Excellent. Uh, I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting to hear back. But with uh, if this uh, if this gentleman agrees, he just has to um, uh, check some things out uh, because I called him <laughs> with, with about, uh, or I, I should say, I emailed him with about an hour and a half left in the show. Some things to work out. It would definitely make for an interesting and educational debate tonight. Well, that's what I like. We brought you on as our content director uh, a, a while back, and uh, you know you've done a great job of making sure that we know with plenty of advance warning who the guests are going to be. Now you're getting to experience the other side of Spooky South Coast, the way that we did it for, <laughs> for so long, and that's uh, booking by the seat of our pants. That's uh, sometimes driving in here to the Spooky Studio and making phone calls along the way to see who we can get to come on the program, hitting up Facebook before the show, you know, whatever whatever we can do to make sure that we have people uh, lined up for the show. So, welcome to our world a little bit. You know, the cool thing is it makes us uh, kind of think about, huh, who else do we kind of want? Like, what are the things that we want? And more importantly, like, what are the resources that we have? So, you know, we had talked about bringing on uh, someone from the uh, the Sally House. So, I- I'm looking to-, to book that guest now. Uh, and then this gentleman, if this gentleman can't come on tonight, then it's definitely uh, someone I want on uh, later. And then uh, I was actually able to reach out to Darkness Dave today who uh, was filming his uh, 
his, you know, TV show that they've got going on, yeah, the, the Paranormal Paranormal Challenge. And, uh, and actually, Dave was very nice. I'm surprised he even got back to me because he's like, I was just shooting. I'm here. I'm like, I'm, I'm showering. I'm going out. and But, you know, I really can't. So I was, you know, I was actually uh, impressed that he, he called me back. I didn't even text him. He called me back to say that he wasn't going to be able to make it tonight, but that he wanted to come on and talk to some spooky uh South Coast people, so um, so he'll be coming up in the next couple of weeks too. So in this in the, in our debacle, we actually found some other things that we really kind of want to explore in the next couple of weeks. So that's pretty cool. Absolutely, and and we've got plenty of uh, time here to talk uh, about all things paranormal. I mean, we're we're on every Saturday night, so I guess you know the rest of the way. You know, we've got to deal with a few seven o'clock starts for the Red Sox, but I don't think there's any more late starts. Uh, so we should be here through the rest of the season. You know, obviously when playoffs come up. That might be a different story, but for now, you know, what better way to spend a Saturday night than to uh, listen to us talking about ghosts and aliens and Bigfoot and stuff? So, Chris already yeah, found out. Okay. Thing. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I'd love to get you know, I, there was some discussion in the chat room. I'd love to get some people to uh, to call in and talk about what they thought thought of uh, of Jeffrey Gonzalez's reveal this week. Yeah, and that you know, I, I want to talk to you a little bit about that because. Uh, you know, when we were talking about that on the show last week, we had mentioned how I didn't know anything about what it was, that I was kind of hearing along with the audience for the first time what the evidence would be. And then I saw the photos, you know, on Lauren Coleman's site on Cryptomundo as the show was going on. I have to say the the photo that I saw on Cryptomundo was probably more convincing than the ones that they released on Thursday. Well, I mean, I think that I have uh, picture evidence confuses me. Mm-hmm. It brings up that that cynical side of me. It just is, it was more of um, you know the directive of what he was saying, the the fact that he was asking for money for this. When, in my opinion, and and I would love to get Mooney's opinion on this, I think that researchers would jump uh, at the chance to be able to analyze DNA. It didn't seem to me like he had to ask for donations to get that done. But I could be wrong. The only thing I know about DNA is um, you know what I see on TSI and stuff. <laughs> Well, first off, it's awful hard to get DNA from uh, outside sources. When when something's outside and exposed to the elements, you you got contamination on top of contamination, and trying to separate that out gets extremely complicated and expensive. And uh, to not absolutely be sure that this was from a Bigfoot to even start with, yeah you're looking at a, a good output of money to not even be sure at the end at the end of the day. You don't think that there are people, though, that are in the community that have those kind of resources and have those kind of connections that, in other words, if I'm a, if I'm a, if I'm a well-known and well-respected researcher and I discover something, how hard is it for me to get that DNA tested? It all depends upon if you have the facilities and uh, the finances. Finances are the big part. Facilities will do anything you want as long as you got the money. You're saying maybe it, maybe this man is, is not as uh, with his hand out as, as I as I'm thinking that he is because I'm totally willing to admit it when I'm wrong. But it just seemed to me that he would be able to find someone who would do it for him or someone who would be able to connect him up without asking for donations. Well, he's already he said he has a somebody involved in the police forensics, supposedly doing some of the work for him. So having something validated after another group has looked at it, yeah, that that to me seems reasonable. But if this guy wants to, you know, run it through a, you know, the crime lab's DNA stuff first, 
that's that's up to him. I mean, uh, personally, I think there's a little bit of conflict there with uh, using po- what would be public resources for uh, a non-official investigation. You know, you're starting to get into uh, shaky ground there. You, you understand what I'm saying? Oh, sure. But, I mean, I also think, too, that, you know, there's going to be somebody who will, uh, I don't want to say, you know, a, a Bigfoot researcher necessarily, uh, but somebody who would like to capitalize off a Bigfoot researcher. You know, somebody that wants to maybe make a DVD or somebody that wants to put together a Bigfoot tour uh, who would, you know, love to jump at the chance of spending a little bit of this money to try to authenticate this uh, as best they can in order to have some sort of end result. I think that if you, you know, if you look at how they handled it, Chris, uh, by going up there and saying that they just wanted help with getting the DNA tested instead of saying, hey, send us money and then we'll take care of it, it gives it a little bit more credibility in my eyes, you know, because they're not looking for a check written to them, uh, but they are looking to have something done basically for free. Uh, I mean, are you skeptical at all based on, you know, the way that they approached it? Yeah, I mean, it was a, a big media, well, I mean, in terms of just the fact that there was media related to it. I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I think we talked about, um, you know, we, we talked about skepticism, um, and I'm starting to see, at least for my end, a lot more cynicism mm-hmm. at a lot of these things that are going on in the in the uh, integrity of, of, of people. And, and so, you know, I am, like I said, I am totally willing to say that, huh, maybe I'm just getting tainted in the fact. But to me, it, it seemed like, you know, somewhat of a of a, of a circus to, 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 to get the information out there. And so, you know, I, I think that goes to credibility. Well, let's not forget, though, too, like it, if you look at their website, it doesn't really. It doesn't seem like they shy away from publicity. It seems like they're kind of looking to get some attention paid to their paranormal society, uh, whether or not you know it's just to increase their own visibility in the community, to increase their caseload, or if they're one of these many other groups that are just trying to get their own TV show, uh, whatever it might be, whatever their end game might be. The fact is, by having a press conference, you kind of announce your presence to a greater part of society than might have known you existed previously. So I can understand kind of wanting to have that press conference aspect to releasing this information, but we were talking about this as we left the studio last week. I think the the better way to do it would be to uh, put it out there through, uh, you know, the regular, you know, cryptozoology channels and to not be waving it. You know, I, I just think the whole thing that happened with the Bigfoot in the freezer soured the media on the whole idea of this, and you don't need to give them yet another reason to scoff. Yeah, I mean, I mean although, you know, I mean, that whole fiasco, you know, and I'm, and I'm even reading things that are in the in the, in the chat room, you know, it does, every falsehood does ruin the field, um, and yet people were talking about Bigfoot for a month leading up to it, and people were talking about Bigfoot, and, uh, and the fact, you know, the fact that this was a hoax, and that's a bad thing for people who are really looking for it, like, that all puts it out there for people to at least... So, you know, I, I think that I'm not ready to, to say the whole thing was a fraud. Like I said, I got a good word from, from someone last week that this was a credible person, that, you know, we should have him on to talk about this. And so, you know, I, I, I stand by, you know, not making a final decision until I get more information. Well, I guess the other problem, too, could be what if it's... The and I'm going to have a press conference about it, about <laughs> feeling that way, too. Well, the worst part is, is if they... You know, if they really do believe that this is excellent evidence, if they really do believe that this is uh, the real deal, then you should probably 
authenticate it first and then go before the cameras. You know, you should probably have somebody at least give you a little bit more than just, you know, uh, I guess a photo comparison to a to a bear or whatever else they, they did before they felt comfortable enough to go before the media. I would just want to have something a little bit more. I'd, I'd want to find a way to get the DNA testing done and then announce to the world uh, of what we had. Right. It seems to me that a few of the connections to be able to put a press conference together, mm-hmm. you would have the connections to be able to validate what you think that press conference is going to reveal before you have it. And I'm guessing whoever would put together that, you know, that analysis for you would probably uh, be against the whole press conference angle to begin with. You know, they'd want you to announce it in scientific journals and, you know, through the proper scientific channels and not just go out in front of the local news. Well, for about 500 bucks, you can start to get answers. You can at least rule, out, rule it out. If it, you can at least put it into a family. If it is within the hominid family, then, yeah, you can look further. It may come up being human in the end, but you can at least, you know, rule out if it's bear or some some other animal for at least 500 bucks worth of DNA testing. Or for uh, about $5 worth of fingerprint testing, you could probably check out and look and see, you know, who whose hands it was that were leaning up against the glass. Uh, that that'd be what I'd want to know more because uh, the more I look at it, the more it looks like. And I'm not accusing anybody of anything, but the more I look at it, the more it looks like somebody's either playing a trick on us or somebody's playing a trick on Sanger Paranormal Society. So let's uh, let's ask our friend Matt Costa over here what he thinks because he's more skeptical than anybody about it. Matt, have you had a chance to see those the 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 better pictures uh, instead of just what we saw on Cryptomundo last week? Uh, I saw a little bit of it, but what'd you think? Um, I don't know. It looks like slobber. It does. It looks but, like... <laughs> but there's, there's that, like, perfect imprint of slobber that I'm not sure is natural. Uh, I haven't slobbered on enough car windows lately to... Oh, no, you haven't led, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Heard of window lickers, but... Well, <laughs> but, Matt, I know, I know one of the things that you're, you're very interested in is cryptozoology. And, yes. You know, have you seen more convincing evidence in the past than this? I mean, to me, this is kind of like... <clears throat> I think the picture of Nessie's head popping up yeah. out of the water is a little bit more convincing than I this. I mean, not as far as boogers go, but I've never seen booger evidence before. So that's new. Yeah, I guess that is new. <laughs> but um, Bigfoot with a head cold. Maybe he has allergies. Yeah, I mean, the the, the other evidence that they have, it's, it's not, to me, anything outstanding. So... So and I'm, I'm taking it that your point of view is probably similar to, to the rest of the world. I, I think that... Unfortunately, what they had to present, uh, it's not enough to start swaying public opinion toward the existence of Bigfoot. Although, yeah. you know, there is a lot of Bigfoot programming on television right now, so maybe that helps too. There is. There's a lot more. Uh, it's actually out in the media, uh, more, more so. Of course. Cartoons. More Squatch. All right. I still yeah. want that that Bigfoot thing. That's for kids. The toy. Whatever. The remote yeah. control. Yeah, Bigfoot. I still want it. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, Bigfoot the Monster Truck is making a comeback. Is it? You think he can take down Gravedigger? I don't know. Gravedigger's <laughs> tough. What do you think, Chris? Gravedigger or Bigfoot? Which Monster Truck? Well, first of all, definitely Bigfoot, but I'm waiting for the Bigfoot <laughs> cartoon to come back as well. That, that was a... The, the big, you're talking about the Bigfoot Monster Truck cartoon. Yes. Yes. That's, uh, Although it came out, it, it's... I think it's a lot more acceptable because, you know, my son knew two years ago... You know, when he was three, four years old, he knew exactly what Bigfoot was because he had been programmed already by his, you know, even before he knew what ghosts were and, and you know, slightly after he learned what a puck was, he was, 
the dude knew what a Bigfoot was because so many of the kids' shows that he watches focus on it and, like, represent it. And, you know, and now he knows who, you know, Loch Ness Monster is, too, thanks to Phineas and Ferb. And so, you know, it's, it's definitely, I think, I think people would be much more willing to accept the possibility of a Bigfoot than the possibility of, of, uh, of some of the other stuff we talked about on the show. Well, speaking of unidentified hairy creatures, I just looked down and realized Moniz took his shoes off. <laughs> <laughs> Bigfoot. Yeah, I mean, geez, that's a uh, that's a that's a type of alien fungus from another planet. I think <laughs> that's, that's a little more, uh, you know, Lord of the Rings than uh, <laughs> bitches. So, but I mean, what, what do you think is going to be the end result here, Chris? I mean, I, I didn't see enough uh, mainstream coverage of this press conference. You know, I, I kind of had to go out and look for it. Um, it, it wasn't like it was popping up everywhere as I as I hoped it might be, but I mean, what do you think is going to be the end result here with the media? Do you think they're going to kind of pass this off again, and you know, just it's another uh, reason for them to not pay attention to Bigfoot research, or do you think that maybe you know they're going to keep following up with this story? Um, I think that first of all, like like I said before, I think the media is you know loves uh, a Bigfoot fraud as much as you know trying actually looking into Bigfoot. So. Um, I think that they'll they'll try to jump on it, but I, I I get the feeling that unfortunately, because I'd really like to know what this stuff was, because I I however much I feel the presentation was off, I think that there might have been a genuine experience that he had, and I think that's going to kind of fade away. And so uh, unfortunately, I think that this is kind of like just a you know this is a, a little a little fish in, in a really big pond, and it might get overlooked and not get the the um the kind of you know at least critical look that it deserves well uh, we'll throw the phone numbers out and find out what you think you can call us up at 508-996-0500 or 1-800-996-1420 is that right <laughs> why am i blanking on the toll free number 1-877-996-1420 or 508-996-0500 you can also email us spooky crew at spooky or jump into the chat room on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com. You like how I start blanking on the phone numbers there, but what is it about Bigfoot, Chris, that gets the media attention? Why is it that, you know, we can have, I don't know, photo evidence or, or some sort of new evidence for Bigfoot? We can have some sort of new evidence for a UFO or an alien presence, but for some reason ghosts don't get that kind of mainstream media coverage. Um, well, you know, I, I think I think first of all they do. Uh, ghosts do get... Well, maybe no, not. Um, nobody's had a press not, conference to play an EVP. <laughs> there you go. And I think maybe that's the nature of it. Like, you know, paranormal investigators get. I mean, okay. So I'm writing. I, I run Ghost Village News. So I look at this paranormal news every week, um, every day. And I can honestly tell you that when I see this group, you know, does work and this is evidence they've gotten, I delete it because it's not news. You know, in a bigger sense, because everyone gets evidence, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that when you have what might be solid evidence for a, a supernatural creature like a Bigfoot or a Chupacabra or these other things that kind of pop up, um, it's rare. I mean, it's not so rare, like, you know, that it's, it's you don't see three or four of them a year, but it's a lot more uncommon than it is to, to see that this group went to this, you know, place and they got evidence. So those things almost rare, you know, they very rarely get picked up by bigger media outlets because it happens all the time. 
and they very rarely go up on a site like Ghost Village because they happen all the time. But when you have things that are actually discovered and things that are a lot closer and a lot more tangible, you know, a, a shadowy picture can be assumed to be a hoax a lot easier than I think a what might be a compelling piece of, you know, cryptid uh, evidence. And so, therefore, when those things do come out, you know, and people are a lot more willing to accept that those things might exist because we have discovered animals that we didn't know existed before, um, then, then you know, people are, are, are going to pay attention, whereas there's so much white noise, no pun intended, when it comes to the paranormal field, to the ghost field, that those things are just kind of commonplace. Well, but the other question that I have about it, too, though, is, and you see all these news stories, it's the tone. You know, you get a completely different tone talking about Bigfoot or talking about a UFO than you get talking about ghosts. With with Bigfoot or aliens, you, know, you do get a lot of the, you know, tongue-in-cheek stuff, too, but you do from time to time get uh, a somewhat serious and scholarly tone to those stories. But with ghosts, it seems like it's always, you know, it's got to mention the word Ghostbuster and it's got to make jokes about the movie and, you know, hey, they, at least they're not chasing after the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man in the local library. You, you always seem to have that kind of approach to these to these ghost stories when you don't get that with the other stuff. And I think the the other thing is, is automatically, um, even when you know when there is a, a a cryptid story and it comes out as you know as cynical and it comes out as sarcastic and come on look at this, um, there's always always a tone set with the ghost ones. So it's either that very like funny like they have to play the Ghostbuster theme behind it or it's inherently have, it has to be spooky. And so by making it spooky instead of relevant, you're making people think that it's not really to be taken seriously either way. Well, uh, let's hope we get to the point where, uh, you know, we can either be serious about all of it or just make fun of all of it. I mean, that's what we do here on the show. We just make fun of everything. Yeah, including each other, you fool. It works, works out a lot better that way. You know, Chris, we, we realized that we could probably work it out so that you could actually broadcast from a camera in your house when you join us. And we could mix that in with our video feed. Yeah, we were uh, we were talking about that in the uh, the chat room, but uh, I'm not sure if people want to really see my kitchen. <laughs> well, it's it's not that, Chris. It's your smiling face they want to see. It's been too long for our Massachusetts uh, listeners here because uh, you've been you've been gone for too long. I know we're we're coming up on the year since I was uh, since I was there for the uh, for the last um, uh, Triangle show. Which, by the way, when is when is the Triangle show coming up? I don't know. Like you're the know. content director. Content director. <laughs> Uh, but you, you're the you're the master of uh, of the three ring circus. Well, known the, as the, the, uh, <laughs> the the idea that I heard kicked around, and this was uh, brought up by our friend Carl Wood and a couple other investigators. They're thinking about August twenty eighth uh, to coincide with the uh, anniversary of Anawan's capture. So, if if we could work that out to maybe do it on that night, I, I mean, I just worry that you know, it, I'm just. Off the top of my head, I'm not looking at a calendar or anything. I wonder if we're getting too close to Labor Day weekend and if that's going to be a, a tough time for people. But I like the idea of tying it into an anniversary there instead of just going out on a random date. No, I would completely agree with that. I, I think we've I've been trying to do that as well, like set things up with anniversaries and things like that. But, uh, you know, I'm definitely willing to uh, or, or waiting to be a bystander and just be a listener on that Triangle show this year. So, Well, we've got plenty of people that want to go out uh, – you know, in addition to the regular group of investigators that we use uh, on a frequent basis, we have all new people that want to go out and take part in the show. And uh, we have, you know, Manny and Kristen from Bridgewater Triangle, who, you know, the the, the research group, the website, whatever they're <clears throat> calling themselves, that, that entity, 
but they you know they they can come on with a, a different approach to things and i know personally uh, bay state paranormal has been working on a completely different angle about some stuff going on in the middleborough halifax area so there's always new avenues to explore instead of just rehashing all the same stuff but if you can tie it into one of those anniversary dates it just makes it all the more uh, intriguing because you know we hear the stories about how on the anniversary of this this happens so maybe we could actually be there when it does I'm with you. I'm on board. I'll keep the date clear. All right. So we'll uh, we'll work with that. And anybody, any groups that are out there that want to take part, just send me an email, Tim at SpookySouthCoast.com, and we'll start making a master list. Because I think what we'll have to do is we'll just have people in so many different places that uh, maybe we'll just send them all out, and they can do their thing, and then maybe we have them come back on another show. Because, you know, it works good when we're checking in with people in the field, but so often we're sending them to places where there's just no cell phone reception. Right, and so and so, you know, like it's it's maybe it would be worth it to get some video up and maybe edit something together for the show. Maybe well, go on two different nights. With uh, with the spooky TV feed, we can actually send people out there broadcasting live, and there's all kinds of different options that we can do. So we're we're really getting up there in the technology here. Yeah, we're using the best technology 2009 has to offer. <laughs> I know we just discovered. Uh, you know, we can put multiple webcams in here, so we have all these different camera angles. And uh, and just before the show started, I realized we can do a picture-in-picture picture so that we can actually bring up, you know, what Matt Koss is doing while the show is going on so people can see that he's actually is working. He's actually over there making things happen instead of just, you know, playing Nintendo nose. or something. Huh? Picking my nose. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you picked your nose now, you're on camera, so there you go. There you go. All right, well, uh, I guess, uh, you know, coming up in the second hour, we can keep tossing around a variety of different topics. Uh, is there anything in particular, Chris, that you think we should cover uh, on this show so we can start uh, getting the, the listeners amped up? Because there's been so much stuff going on that we haven't had a chance to talk about, you and I. Uh, every time that was, it seems every time we talk on the phone now, we're talking about the projects that we're working on, and we don't get a chance to talk about general paranormal stuff. So this seems like a great night to do it. You know, I have actually. Uh, I was uh, I was really impressed by the the, the first guest last week. Uh, in terms of like you know, like I, like I've said, I, I'm working on other projects that aren't associated with um, Tim Weisberg that uh, that touch upon <laughs> <laughs> things okay. about uh, sociopaths and 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 serial killers and things like that. And it got me to thinking about something. And I kind of posed a question in the, in the chat room last week, and I'd love to pose it to you guys tonight. Um, when we get to come back in the second hour and see if maybe we can get some some discussion going on in the chat room and, and hopefully maybe even some people calling up to uh, to kind of answer or give their opinion on this question because I don't think there's a definitive answer but um, I think it's a really interesting question to kind of delve into what is a ghost um, and you know what actually are these these things that we look for and talk about so I'd love to ask that question in the second hour if people will stay with us. All right, that definitely sounds like fun. And uh, Thomas Sheridan, of course, is the guest that you were referring to. His book is called Puzzling People, The Labyrinth of the Psychopath. And it's just a fascinating read when you start reading the book and realizing, wait a minute, I know people that fit this bill for sure. Uh, because I guess, you know, being a psychopath is enjoyable for these people, uh, according to what uh, Thomas Sheridan was writing about. So. If that's the case, you need to learn how to deal with them to make sure that you don't get so wrapped up in them that you can't come out of it. You know, if they're feeding off what you're giving them, then you got to stop giving it to them. And maybe, maybe I'm that psychopath in your life, Chris, and that's why you have so many things that are related to me. You just can't escape me because I'm basically sucking all your energy out of you, and 
I'm uh, I'm a psychopath that's hell bent on making your life miserable. Well, you know, if you can't tell who the crazy person is in the room, it's probably you. <laughs> there you go. I, I like to think that I'm not crazy for the most part, but I I then I look at my company that I keep, and I realize, gee, maybe that's not a good argument for a. Hey, I don't suffer from insanity. I enjoy every minute of it. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't have multiple. Kiss everything you know about cookies goodbye. New Newton's Fruit Thins. Real cranberries and cranberry citrus oat. Crispy whole grain. Newton's Fruit Thins. One unique cookie. Hey everyone, did you hear? I have an awesome new online video series. It's called Her Say, and it's a daily show featuring the hottest topics women are buzzing about online. Join me in all the conversation at hersay.com. Personality disorder, my other personalities do. Yeah, I think I think about the fact and I debate the fact that I'm, whether I'm crazy or not enough that it means that I'm not crazy. Sorry, Matt, just moving your microphone so I can see the clock. And I still can't. Well, we are coming up on the, on the news break, so we're going to take a break for a few minutes. But when we come back, we will talk about uh, all the stuff that we were just talking about, including what is a ghost. We'll also take your questions. You know, ask ask the Spooky Crew. That's what we can do. We got Chris on the line, uh, Matt, Matt, and myself are here. So it's ask the Spooky Crew in hour number two. We'll kick around all kinds of paranormal stuff. Uh, everybody in the chat room, you can feel free to check in as well. The numbers again: one eight seven seven nine nine six fourteen twenty. That's one eight seven seven nine nine six fourteen twenty. Also five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred. Or you can email us spooky crew at spookysouthcoast.com or jump in the chat room. As I said, at Spooky TV. You want to say hi to Rachel because she's saying hi to us right now, and hi to everybody else that's in the chat room. We get a a whole group in there. Uh, we have the Paranormal Pirate, we have Mike, we have Saucer, Nate, uh, we have Whaling City Ghost, Hatch, John, uh, I can't say your chat room name, Matt Costa, we have Film Flunky, Blue Emerald, I, I'm starting to sound like Jeff Charles reading the 420 Club over here. <laughs> so, <laughs> Spade Paranormal, everybody's in there, and uh, Hilly Rose is not in there because he's a little bit busy with us uh, on the phone right now. But we'll be right back with more Paranormal Discussion here on Spooky South Coast. Turn on all your lights, lock the doors, and pull down the shades. Spooky South Coast is back. It's boring. You're boring, everybody. Quit boring, everyone. Welcome back. Hour number two of Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and science advisor Matt Moniz. Also joining us is content director Chris Balzano. And uh, if you go to SpookySouthCoast.com, you can see the show as it happens. We have Spooky TV live here in the Spooky studio. So I highly recommend it because we have multiple cameras. We have cool effects. We've just added a new feature here. Just these past few minutes, where now during the news breaks, instead of uh, just playing the news over that audio 
uh, over that video portion of the show, we actually turn on the microphones here in the spooky studio. So you get to see the behind the scenes of what goes on. You can hear us talking crap about whoever our guest is on the phone uh, before the second hour. And right now that guest that we were crap talking about is Chris Balzano. And uh, <laughs> it's just another way that we can make things more interesting for the audience. Uh, so Spooky TV is on SpookySouthCoast.com if you want to click there. And also you'll be able to watch all the video archives. As soon as the show is over, the video archives are available for watch. So if you, uh, available to watch. So if you miss any part of the show, just go to Ustream.com slash SpookySouthCoast or whatever it is. Just search Spooky South Coast on Ustream and you'll be able to find it. And now if you like to listen to the audio podcasts then you'll be happy to know that the iTunes and the podcast feed are all updated. Uh, there was a few months behind there <laughs> for a little while when I was really busy. But now everything is all up to date, so all the shows are there to download. Uh, Matt Costa, I'm going to put you on the spot here, both uh, yep. video-wise and audio-wise. Uh, how about the archives uh, on the website are you have you been able to update those uh, I, put, I put a few up i didn't want to overload everybody yeah well take, yeah know, they got take it all in stride yeah they need some time but um like you said everything is up on itunes and uh, do we still do the zoom thing or i don't know does anybody it's you know what the feed is still there to okay. zoom so if it's happening i know the marketplace is still up i know i know they don't make zooms anymore yeah they're going to stop making zooms but they are keeping which, the marketplace yeah. so the feed is still going to mm -hmm. the market of course i say this assuming that it ever went there in the first place i, I, I think i looked it up one time and and it was there it was there i, I downloaded the uh, program specifically for that <laughs> from the zune yeah but you didn't buy a zune specifically no. for that no, no. that's probably a good not. idea it's a good idea not to unless they send well they can't send us one now <laughs> well they probably would send us one now <laughs> now that they stop making them they'd be like oh we got like twelve thousand of these over in the warehouse send one to spooky south coast yeah they were the only show that ever sent their show to the zune marketplace i bet steve jobs bought like a million to pave his driveway. <laughs> That's, he's going to build himself a summer home out of Zooms. <laughs> so, Moniz, remember the remember back when you bought an iPod? Yeah. Yeah, what did you ever do with that thing? It's sitting on my desk. Still? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did you did you plan on learning how to use it or I actually use it when I go traveling on planes, trains, automobiles. Oh, so you have actually put things on it. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. I was just wondering because I remember, like, I was impressed with Moniz when he got that. I was like, "Oh, he's stepping into the, into the new millennium here." And uh, th that was, uh, you know, I forget when it was, but you know, I went to his house and I started on the kitchen table. I went back like six months later; it was still in the same spot on the kitchen table. No, it's the kitchen table is where it ends up. Same with my <laughs> keys and other things that come out of the car. Yep, that's that's where all my my stuff ends up on the kitchen counter. So, Chris, where do you keep all your stuff in the house? I've got a little basket. And then once a week I go through and I throw away all the things that, you know, that I don't have any reason for keeping whatsoever. But for some reason, at some time, it seemed like that receipt for cantaloupe seemed important. So I should do that. I should actually go through the baskets that I have on my counter and actually throw things away that I don't need. Well, you know, after my computer crashed, I was able to, like, uh, get most of my important stuff from little bits of, uh, of USBs that were all over my house. So... Well, I'm, I'm not saying that I procrastinated at cleaning out my office at home, but uh, we started cleaning off the desk, and I, I think I found the uh, the uh, outline for the first episode of Spooky South Coast. <laughs> so that's been there for a while. Did you find the notes when you decided to call me administrator for seven years? Yeah, well, yeah, that's – remember remember when we argued about that back in your first appearance? You know, you, you weren't sure what you wanted us to call you? I'm like, I'm just Chris. Yeah. 
And now here it is, six years later, and you're still just Chris. Still just Chris, and uh, about pretty much at the same place. So, <laughs> well, now you're part of the spooky crew. There you go. So there you go. You had to sit through six years of all of our BS to finally be accepted into the group, and now you're wondering why you ever cared. I still have my hat. So you still have the hat, but no bottles of water. No bottles of water. Nope. No, uh, no Freddy Krueger key ring. You know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell Chris this story since he's on the air. We're, we've been kidding around drinking these Venom energy drinks. Can we, can we plug them? Are they, are they a sponsor? Venom. Yeah, we've been, we've been messing around, uh, you know, holding up these Venom energy drinks to the cameras and, and talking about them and everything. But the reason why we have them is because I bought two cases of them at a yard sale, uh, for, <laughs> for like five dollars a case. So it's like 18 cents or whatever for a bottle of this uh, is what we're paying. So, Chris, I will hold one of these for you, and the next time you come up here, I'll bring it to the studio. Oh, beautiful. So you never did get water, but you're going to get the Venom Energy drink. If he wants, he can have my Freddy Krueger uh, bottle and keychain. You still have them? Yeah. <laughs> they're, on the, they're on the table right next to the iPod. <laughs> so there you go. They, Close to the refrigerator. <laughs> he promises that he uh, only used the bottle once. And don't worry, he didn't drink anything out of it. He used it to spit tobacco juice. <laughs> now, why, so I, am I seeing in the chat room that every single person is saying that they have a key ring and I don't? I, I think that's what's going on, yeah. We, what, what we did is we gave away uh, Freddy Krueger key rings and bottles of water to the uh, first, second, third, fourth, all the way through the 250th person to post in the chat room. And then we ran out just before we were going to give you one. Um, you know, a man can only dream. Hey, you finally got your copy of the book, though, right? You finally got your copy of Ghost of the South Coast. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'll be reviewing that any day now. <laughs> He's like, I'll be sure to read that eventually. All right, well, we, we were talking in the first hour that uh, you, you did have a question that you wanted to pose to the listeners, and you posed it, but I'll let you pose it again. Well, you know, I was, I was thinking last week as we were talking about, and, and, you know, we kind of were having a side discussion about, you know, who in this kind of lexicon of serial killers would fit as a psychopath. And we were debating Manson, whether or not he had showed compassion um, and empathy for the people who were um, in his group, especially you know, in, in the early days, and whether that was you know, coinciding. And it really came down to, based on um, Tom's definition, or Thomas's definition, I don't know him well enough to call him Tom, um, that it all had to do with brain chemistry. And I started to wonder... And so kind of here's my question. I'd love to get you guys' thoughts on it because I don't think there is an answer, or at least one that's sufficient for me. If we survive after death In and our mind exists... we make many decisions. <laughs> Life is made of... <laughs> <laughs> the question will never be posed. Are you still with me? Oh, yeah, we're here. Okay. So if, if we exist, you know, after death, if there's a such thing as a ghost, and there's such thing as an intelligent haunting, so it's our consciousness projected outward to the world from a place where we're not physically alive anymore. Um, and if a going theory on that is, you know, that is electrical impulses left over or whatever it might be, if we had a disorder, well, I think we, and, it, and it kind of extends beyond this, but if we had a disorder that was a chemical disorder, for example, bipolar or, um, you know, something, diabetes even, something like that, would we continue to have those disorders, and would they influence the way that we interact with people once we're dead? So if there's something organically wrong with your brain that makes you, for example, a psychopath now, 
wouldn't you no longer be a psychopath if there's no longer any chemistry, if it's just electricity? Well, Moniz, I'll let you feel that question first. My answer would be no, because your brain sets up what would be the frequencies that you're used to thinking, your your brain. It's it's wired in that that pattern. So once you're gone, you, you've established the pattern. You've established the rhythm that is your mind. Chemically, it may be set that way because of that disorder in the brain. Why would that pattern or signal not be continued on outside the body? Okay, so if I, for example, if I am schizophrenic, um, and in my real life... And so life, is your other personality. <laughs> and, in, and in life, in, in reality, or whatever we want to call it, I'm on heavy medication for that. And so I've got that under control. If the chemicals are no longer there, that's no longer brain pattern. That's an outside influence controlling the way that my mind works and the way that my mind's allowed to work. Well, your brain was also course, altered by the chemistry of what you've been taking, too. Right. But if I go off that medication in real life, I start to hear the voices again. Yeah, but what they're trying to, what I'm trying to say here is, you're, you're altering the brain chemistry with uh, various forms of pharmacopoeia. That pharmacopoeia is what's being used to control the pattern that is being put into your brain. W w once that pattern is set, what, according to most people's theories, being that it's just beyond, you know, your, your soul is just, or mind is just being transposed beyond, that pattern is already still set in your brain. Whether you have the chemicals or not, the, that's the last imprint it had to work. Because, so it's only the last imprint? Or at least it's what helped shape that pattern. In other words, if, if, if you don't have the physical part of the brain to, to be twisted in whatever fashion that you're talking about mentally, then uh, why would it uh, continue on if there's no physical restrictions anymore to it? In other words, the brain is uh, your your template, what helped wire your thought process, that energy wave pattern, if you want to call it that. And then it's carried on. Uh, I mean, without the physical structure anymore, it's not going to make any difference. The pattern is the pattern. It's that our, that blueprint is already laid. Well, it, it, to me, though, it, it seems that, that that changes over the course of our life, and so therefore, why would it not change based on experiences we had in the afterlife or substances we're not, no longer allowed to take in. Well, I, I wonder if it has to do, though, with, with does it become, you know, you know how we can have learned behaviors, and you know how there's things that just become kind of automatic second nature. It's, it's embedded within our, you know, wiring. Uh, but if you take that wiring away, I think we'll still retain some of that, um, mainly because it's, it's familiar. You know, I, I think if if you're going to change from one state of consciousness into the other, and we'll we'll just say that we'll just say that death is a change in the state of consciousness, um, so we can stick with this this theme. But if that's the case, then I guess it's such a shock and such a change that you try to keep it familiar. You try to keep operating the way that you know how. Right. You know, if you sail your boat into strange and unknown choppy waters. Just keep doing what you've been doing and hope that you stay afloat. Bear in mind what you're you're dealing with is also now you don't no longer have a corporeal body. The brain is used to all the sensory input from all its organs, the eyes, the the hearing, the sense of smell, all your all your senses 
feeds your brain in terms of information. It's looking for uh, its physical connection. You all of a sudden disconnect to that. All you have left is the um, the psyche that's left behind. Uh, so, yeah, your thought processes are what you had learned and uh, accepted before because you no longer have the feeling hot or cold or you don't smell this or that. And seeing and hearing is a different form of perception now because it's not coming from eyes per se or or through an auditory impulse. It's now all just a basically a, a, a electromagnetic, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that, too. There already is when you begin, though, from that. I mean, you know, granted, we've got eyes that create that, and uh, a ghost may have, you know, some other way that it receives visions, but, you know, we all know that paranormal things can hear what we say, that they can react to what we do, that they, they, we've had plenty of EVPs and things like that that say, I'm hot or I'm cold, and we've had definitely people that recognize us or see that we're, what we're doing, things like that. I mean, so they are getting information. Right, but the the way they get the information is a lot different now than when they were in their body. That's what I'm saying. Their, their sensory quote unquote input has been altered now because they are part. They are all part of the environment that they're in. They 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 don't have the skin for tactile sensation. They don't have uh, you know corneas and retinas and the optic nerve to feed you know signals. Uh, back to uh, back to the brain, or you know, part of the auditory canal to to you know receive you know signals from the tympanic membrane into into the uh, brain. What they all they have is the um, impulses that what made, like I said, made up their consciousness. Their sensory input is uh, must obviously be altered because they no longer have the physical means in which to send that sensory information to them. I mean, isn't the whole idea of being a ghost kind of hanging on to those learned behaviors? Isn't that kind of holding on to needing to be tied into the living world? I mean, I'm just assuming they don't need to communicate in the way that they do. They don't need to to even care about us anymore, care about the living anymore. But it's just it's it's holding on to that. So if you're going to hold on to what you've left behind, then why wouldn't you hold on to it in a way that's familiar? Right. But if you take once again someone who is schizophrenic, both sides of that coin are familiar to them. You know, and it was the it was the the pharmaceuticals that were um, that were creating a sense of clarity. So if those pharmaceuticals are not there, and I and, I, and I'm saying these things as a as a as a platform to kind of discuss these things. I'm not sure where I fall, and I'm, I'm sure. definitely... But, uh, but I, it, it's one of those things that you really think of, because then to extend that, it's like, so if I was an alcoholic, can I not go to a ghostly 12-step program? I mean, will I forever be an alcoholic or forever be under the influence directly? So if, if I match rationale, if my, if my brain set patterns were, you know, a junkie, then I have no hope of not being a junkie. I'll be a junkie for the rest of my spiritual life, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, this—it's like each time you think that you're following one Bear idea, mind. you know, it, you, your mind brings you in another direction. Well, uh, and I and I think these kind of discussions are interesting because you know, it, and there's the side of me that says, you know, that that goes off that rail a little bit and says, huh, well, maybe this. And, and Tim and I, you and I have had discussions about this lately about the about soul and the existence of soul and soul as it pertains to the paranormal. Mm -hmm. And it's, um, 
you know, it, it's it's one of those things where, well, now, you know, can we, you know, can we extend it out to say, maybe we're talking, you know, a ghost is more of a soul, and maybe we can, you know, touch upon something and maybe register something, get evidence on something on these physical basis, electricity and, and, and uh, radiation and, and, and heat and things like that. But you know, maybe really what a ghost is is, you know, an imprint of a soul, and therefore... You know, it's it's the essence of a person and all of their things, and not just you know what their what their brain can contain. Well, Chris, uh, you were talking about having a junkie continue to be a junkie beyond beyond the veil. Uh, give you a primary example of what you're saying is being somewhat validated in the Victorian mansion in Gardner. Uh, the one of the gen- they're the future of America. So let's build them up strong and give them our cheese. Kraft Singles. More kids get their calcium from us than any other American cheese. Kraft Singles. The American cheese. Hey everyone, did you hear? I have an awesome new online video series. It's called Hersey, and it's a daily show featuring the hottest topics women are buzzing about online. Join me in all the conversation at Hersey.com. Gentleman who is reportedly uh, had died because of spontaneous human combustion because he basically set himself on fire because of moonshine. Um, uh, when alcohol was brought up and said Porteo, there there was the same EVP response, and uh, there's also been several other cases where um, people that are obsessed about whether it be a person uh, or other physical objects, and in some cases drinking and other uh, narcotics, believe it or not, in some uh, cases that ghosts have been still longing for that. They've been longing for that person. They've been longing for that bottle, being able to to drink again. Or And there was, like I said, one case where you were talking about a junkie, and there was a person that I know that got an EVP of where uh, a person had OD'd on heroin and got an, uh, talking about wanting to shoot up again. So, yeah, they, it still, it, does, still does carry on. I, I have heard that kind of thing myself. So, It reminds me of one of the very first books when I started seriously getting into this. I think the book is called Communing with the Spirits. I still have it. And one of the things it talked about was really kind of like necromancy and, and magic and things like that, and it wasn't what I was looking for, but it's a fascinating book. And one of the things we talked about was when making these offerings and, and these things are basically trying to get ghosts to kind of work for you. You really wanted to do things like work with alcohol because then you would get alcoholic spirits and they'd be a lot easier to control and a lot more willing to do what you wanted them to do. Mm. So the whole existence of alcoholism or drug addiction, you know, as you were saying, behind the veil, I can totally come to terms and I can totally say that I've heard cases of it. You know, and I've worked with people who have had spirits that, you know, seemed as if they were bad alcoholics, you know, angry drunks. Well, down the my, question, my question was is, can, that means you wouldn't be able to get over it. Well, look at the uh, traditions in South America and in other countries where they generally do leave a bottle of alcohol at, at a loved one's gravesite. You know, that, that's not uncommon. Uh, alcohol is also used in clearing spirits where the uh, various shaman or spirit, spiritual leaders in certain groups would take a swig of the alcohol and blow a mist into the air to 
force the spirit back or to draw them in depending upon what way they were turned. Now, bear in mind, like I said, these are in other cultures that you'll find outside of the United States. And, and some practices in voodoo in the United States, they do the same thing. Well, and also we, we like to leave beer cans on John Belushi's grave. Oh, I'll leave that one right where it is. <laughs> but I, I guess, though, we're talking about, you know, these different afflictions that can afflict people uh, even after they've passed on. And, and one of the discussions is happening in the chat room, and I encourage everybody in the chat room and anybody that's listening to call in, uh, 1-877-996-1420 or 508-996-0500. But one of the things they're talking about is the t- different types of personalities. So just as much as you can carry these addictions over with you, these dependencies over with you, you can carry that personality over. If you're a jerk and, as a living person, then you're going to be a jerk as a ghost. And if you're going to be a nice, kind, helpful person, you know, you could be a nice, kind, helpful ghost. The one thing that I'm surprised at is that as we've had these researchers who have passed on uh, in, the, in the last few years, how come they're not now trying to reach out to others that are investigating, at least that, you know, that I haven't heard of? You know, how come Ed Warren isn't popping into every ghost, adventure, uh, every ghost investigation Houdini. and saying what's going on? That wasn't Ed, his yeah. big claim? I thought the same thing when he's Houdini, who, who promised that he would if he could, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Or John and, Lennon. But I, I guess what I'm saying is, is, is that, you know, I'm, I'm not doubting whether or not you carry your personality with you. If you're a jerk here, you're a jerk there. If you're nice here, you're nice there. My concern was if that is influenced by something. I originally started talking about brain chemistry, and, and, and then we kind of moved on to pharmaceuticals. You know, if those physical elements are no longer there, you continue to be that person. Right? And I think that's kind of kind of the question that I, that I still kind of roll around in my head. And, and I've, been, I've been thinking about a lot, you know, it, Writing things about like what is a ghost and, and you know what our ghost is, is you know we're working on different projects. It's one of those things that's like, huh, I mean, what you know, what exactly makes up who we are, um, and and what part of that would then exist afterwards? You know, is it an intensing of those kind of primary who you are? Is it every little nuance of who you are? You know, I mean, a good, something that would be you know if if I was a jerk because I had immense pain because I was always in pain, so therefore maybe you have a very, you know, horrible view of the world. If that pain no longer goes away, if when pain is no longer there, am I now a better person? Or, like you guys were saying, is that brain pattern of being a jerk so embedded in who I am that that's who I now am? That's the thing that's kind of been, uh, been stern in me this past week. Well, one of the things that I wonder, too, is do you have to have something in that brain chemistry or something in that electrical makeup of yourself in order to become a ghost. Can anybody become a ghost? Maybe not. Maybe that's why we haven't heard from these people who who have made the promises that they would share with us uh, once they've passed on. Maybe it's just not possible for every living person to become a ghost or a spirit uh, after they've passed on. Maybe it is that issue that we're talking about that makes them able to retain that essence. Yeah, and I think that those are the questions that keep me going because, you know, after we get over the fact that, you know, do ghosts exist, can we, can we gain evidence, can we use that evidence to help them, to help people who are experiencing paranormal activity that don't want to, it's then kind of like, well, why are there ghosts? Why is this person here and this person not here? Why is this person? And, and I, you know, I'm, I push away the fact that, you know, that there is a kind of set thing. You know, one of, one of the things 
Um, when I ask investigators, they say things like they've got unfinished business, they've got uh, uh, someone who wronged them, or they did something wrong in their life that they have to work out. Those all seem like very, you know, us issues that we're kind of projecting onto the paranormal because maybe we don't want to think that we would have to stick around. Mm-hmm. You know, like, in other words, I don't have any unresolved issues, so I get to, you know, find heaven or whatever I think of as peace. Whereas this other person, you know, like, because, you know, many of the ghosts we encounter don't have, you know, well, you know, I abuse my children, so therefore I'm trying to work that out before I can move on. Or, you know, I can't find my buried ring, and I can't find rest until I someone gets that ring and and, and give it to my wife. Like, those are kind of romantic stories that I don't encounter a heck of a lot when I'm actually investigating or when I'm talking to people and getting their stories. Is there more of an idea with the people that you do talk to um, that you are a spirit in distress? I mean, I, I, I hear very few content ghost stories. I mean, we hear of some stories of people who are content with a haunting or some spirits that don't make trouble for them. But we don't have a lot of people who, uh, a lot of ghosts that we hear about who are, um, communi- Casper. Yeah, like communicating the fact that, yes, I know I'm a ghost and I'm happy being a ghost and I like being here. You know, it's like, it's like everything that happens in the, in the investigations that we hear about is like the beginning of Beetlejuice, <laughs> you know, and very few of it is to the point where it's the end of Beetlejuice, you know, where, hey, we're ghosts and we're happy to live here and we're all getting along. Well, I think that's because the people who communicate with us, are the ones who are disturbed by what they're experiencing, and therefore they're more likely to have a negative experience um, or misunderstand it. I've had plenty of people who, you know, after investigating and understanding and maybe even communicating, you know, one way or another, are fine, and the hauntings just kind of go away. I mean, that's the majority of places. It doesn't take anything active to help them find peace, but it's these kind of like romantically spooky you know, EVP-laden things where it's like, you know, knife. <laughs> it's like, oh, automatic, I know he was killed, and, and all of a sudden you start creating this backstory that seem to be the stories that stick. And I think the nature of the person's death might have more to do with whether or not they stay, uh, they stay kind of with us than who they were as people before they died or circumstances running the days before they died. Well, there's also the possibility, too, though, that as we've developed more as a society a sense that we can say that ghosts exist, as, as a society as a whole, we can kind of say, all right, you know, uh, you know, four out of five Americans believe in some existence of the paranormal now, so we can go along those lines of saying, yes, ghosts are real. I think now the stories that we have to hear have to be more intriguing than just the fact that there is a ghost. There has to be more to the story than that. Uh, it's almost like if we say now, oh, there's a ghost. Well, yeah, well, so what? What does that ghost do? What does that ghost want? How does that ghost communicate? Just having one isn't enough now. You have to have one that's a needy ghost. Right, right. And I think that that makes some people who were maybe three or four or five years ago more willing to share their stories not share their stories. Because it's like, well, I don't really have that stuff going on. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, it's just they get this cold feeling. Um, and and that's actually maybe stunted the field a little bit because it, then it, it creates this impression that everything has to be negative and intense. When in the beginning, uh, if you'd stepped outside the Bridgewater Triangle, uh, things seemed to be a lot more pleasant. And I got a lot more stories that were uplifting. 
Um, and I don't seem to get as many of those uplifting people anymore. Well, part of that problem, though, is we, and I hate to go back on it and keep harping on this stuff, too, but what we're seeing on television now is more of that negative stuff. You know, we're seeing more of the confrontational ghosts. I, I don't want to say we're seeing more negative spirits, more demonic entities, but we're seeing more uh, confrontational stuff, more uh, headbutting between the living and the dead. Then we're seeing cooperation and you know peace and love and understanding. And I think as that becomes more prevalent, then I think you're going to see people wanting to have those type of experiences because they think that that's what a paranormal experience is now. Right, or they, they, choose, to, they choose to ignore um, those kind of low-level hauntings that they might have that involve more, you know, not pleasant, I mean, or pleasant, not very intense, uh, experiences because it's like, well, that's not what I've been taught of what a ghost well, is. Uh, but, and that's ridiculous, too, because what ends up happening is, and people are talking about this in the chat room on Spooky TV, but what ends up happening is you could have a sustained, we'll say, we'll use the word haunting. We'll, we could have a sustained haunting where there could be evidence every day where you could interact with the spirit, document the spirit, and try different experimentation knowing that it will respond and really set up a good example for the general public that ghosts are real and put that on television and blow people's minds with that but it doesn't have a nice script to it there's no good backstory behind it there's no drama created around it there's no easy cuts to commercial there's no way to actually take it glorify it dramatize it hollywoodize it so it doesn't get the airtime that it you know would if we were just worried about proving that they're real Hey, if you don't tell me what, I'm going to tell you a dirty little secret. <laughs> Just don't share it with anybody. Um, I love James Van Brog. I mean, I really do. I think that, I think that however commercial uh, what he's doing is, I think that to hear him speak and to see that other side of the paranormal makes it more uplifting for me. Um, because so much of it, of what he's presenting, is fraud or not. Um, that kind of lighter golden side of, of ghosts that, you know, we we don't get to see enough of. Yeah, but there's, so, the, you know what I mean? Take away like, my man card, if you will, but there you go. Well, I took away your man card a long time ago, but for different reasons. <laughs> <laughs> I know your cell phone ringtone, my friend. But uh, <laughs> the, uh, the idea, though, that, uh, I mean, that might have been great, you know, five, six, seven, eight years ago when James Van Prague was, you know, considered one of the forefront on the forefront of the, of the paranormal community, but now he's been kind of you know he now he's a niche. Now he's been compartmentalized as being, you know that's that's who he is, but that's not what the paranormal is. And and basically what we're doing is we're basing an entire field, not not ourselves, not people that know about it and that are in it, but the general public is basing an entire field on what gets ratings. We're basing our perception of the paranormal as an American society or as a global society, based on what draws the best numbers on the sci-fi channel, which when you think about it, you know, it, it's it's kind of how we live everything. Every, everything is basically deemed by what's going to be making money and what's going to be drawing people's attention. Uh, but in this field, more than anything, you, you can't really afford that. What will sell the ad dollars? Yeah. Except on this show. <laughs> we don't have any ad dollars. No, but I'm referring to TV, and unfortunately, you're right. That's the standard that this, you know, industry has come to. Can we sensationalize it enough to market, you know, product to? 
yes, you you know, this poor family's going through all kinds of grief and aggravation. Their life's being turned upside down, and, you know, there's strife and everything. Let's put it on TV. Kiss everything you know about cookies goodbye. New Newton's Fruit Thins. Real cranberries and cranberry citrus oat. Crispy whole grain. Newton's Fruit Thins. One unique cookie. Hey everyone, did you hear? I have an awesome new online video series. It's called Her Say, and it's a daily show featuring the hottest topics women are buzzing about online. Join me in all the conversation at hersay.com. TV, and let's see who will pay to advertise well, over it. I mean, even quote-unquote reality shows are not really that. I mean, you can kind of tell where they've pushed people's buttons in some degree. Uh, you, you know, let, let, let's just say, and I don't want to talk out of school here, but let's just take a look at, at, at TAPS. Okay. Okay, let's look at the situation uh, with Brian and TAPS on Ghost Hunters where they started – you know, jumping down his throat and everything. How much of that was done for the cameras? You know, and I'm not asking this. I don't want you to answer this, Monies, because I know that you know behind the scenes stuff. But I'm just saying, like, how much of that was played up for the cameras? How many times did a producer say to Jason, yeah, oh, yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah, you, yeah, keep ragging on him a little bit. That's fine. Keep ragging on him a little bit. And that's what ends up happening. And it's not just paranormal reality. It's all reality shows. And if you are a constant viewer of these programs, then you can kind of pick up on that. If you watch Survivor, if there's no drama happening they, in a team, they create it. They'll create it. They'll yeah. they'll put together some sort of challenge where they know somebody's gonna screw the pooch and they're gonna have everybody else jump down their throat. And that's what they do. They find a way to manipulate it. So it's not really real. It's just unscripted, scripted television. It's let's put the people in this situation and see what happens. And then if it doesn't happen, we'll make it happen. And that's kind of what they're showing the paranormalists. I mean, one of the, the, the people here in the chat room, I think it was Rachel in the chat room, was saying, you know, if, if anybody actually watched a real investigation on a reality show, they'd be bored to tears. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but maybe there's room for that. Maybe there should be a show where they do that. Right next to the Fish Tank channel. Or the, uh, the Yule Log that they run at Christmas time. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Sorry, Chris. Didn't mean to jump on a soapbox there. Oh, are you done? About I, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, I, it's, I didn't think of it till we were saying it, but, you know, like, when I first started to do this, there were a lot of people who wanted to share stories where, you know, the paranormal was helpful for them. Um, and so just looking at the, how that trend has changed, you know, I, I think you directly see the influence of, you know, the, 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 the scary, the freaky, the intense, um, the evil, kind of drowning that out. So I would agree with you. And I think it, I, I, I think that it's, you know, maybe one of the reasons why is that, you know, if we take the, the reality shows aside, because I hate, you know, commenting on those too much because, you know, they're kind of where they are in this world. Um, but even like the news, the news, you know, will we'll, we'll cover these haunted asylums and things like that. But I think when they get into the personal, helpful, uh, paranormal side of things, unless it's creepy in one way or another, um, I think it starts to get spiritual. I think it starts mm -hmm. to get where people who have had positive experiences somehow feel like it's touched their lives in a, a religious way, or it reinforces something that they feel about, like we were talking about earlier, the soul. 
and therefore that starts to get into really sketchy grounds. Oddly enough, they'll, they'll touch into the spiritual when it comes to things like the demonic and, and things that have religious connotation, but when it comes into those, you know, and then I knew at that point that he had moved on and now he's with God. Um, those kind of are the stories that they avoid. Hmm. Uh, I got a question for you, Chris. Okay. How do you feel about the new direction that some of these paranormal shows have taken on? And now that they're, and the best way I can put it is turning them into game shows. No, no that's not the best way to put it. That's what it is. It's a paranormal game show. Okay. Don't, don't, you don't have to sugarcoat it. I'm, I'm, trying, to, I'm is, trying to be diplomatic. The only difference is a game show, you win a prize. Yeah. Right. Right. I, I you know, I, I, <laughs> I, uh, it's a difficult question to answer because, I mean, we do know so many of the people who are involved in that. Um, but, I mean, I think it's ridiculous, personally. And I think that it, you know, it, it's, no, I haven't watched any of these, uh, more game showy type shows yet. Um, but I, and I, I don't intend to. Um, but, it would seem to me that unless there is a a genuine teaching going alongside with it, then it's really kind of setting everything back. All right. Because then. now it just becomes so mundane. And, and, and from what I understand, the groups aren't like, they're not taking people off the street. These are groups that are, you know, working out there in the field. Well... Um, or, or not? I don't know. Uh, are they? Well, uh, well uh, but I think the thing is, when you're doing this, I mean, I don't know how much uh, you know research they're putting into these groups. I don't know how much of a, a minimum caseload they have to have proposed, uh, you know, to, uh, purported to have uh, handled. But I think when you're doing a game show of the paranormal, you're going to get more of these people who are doing the paranormal just because they think they're going to get it on, on TV from it. Right. There's, there's been several of down naked and, and humping gravestones, perhaps. <laughs> well, but, I mean, this goes back to the very thing, though. I, and I, I know you don't want to talk about the reality shows, but I just want to go back into this just a little bit here. The paranormal is the only field that you can get into where you can be doing it for a short amount of time and somebody will start saying, hey, and I'm in talks with a producer about having my own television show. Anybody that goes camping doesn't suddenly feel like they're going to get a reality show where they go out and survive in the wilderness. Anybody who goes fishing doesn't think they're going to get a fishing show. You know, it's the only thing that you can do as, let's face it, it's a hobby. No matter how much you do it, it's a hobby where you can go out and have this hobby and expect that somebody's going to come and hand you a television contract. Everybody that you talk to in this field, you know, these Johnny-come-latelys into the field, they're negotiating some sort of television deal. Except me. Okay, so, right. Yours is already signed. <laughs> I do not. I do not have a, a television deal. Just so people know, um, and and oftentimes I'm uh, disturbed by the reaction of producers when I come back to them and I and I say certain things, such as, "Well, you're looking to, you know, to talk to these five families that you want me to like give you access to their lives. Are they going to get paid? Am I going to get paid for setting you up?" And they're like, "Well, just go talk to someone else now." Um, you're supposed to just want to be on TV, don't you know that? Right, and I think, but I think the unfortunate thing is it sets up the expectation that unless you have a page on your website that talks about all the different media you have done, um, then you're not considered legitimate. And I think that's that's the unfortunate thing because then you're starting out with thinking the first thing I need to do. And I know this is somewhat um, 
you know, somewhat me talking out of the side of my mouth because I do write books. Um, but it's, you know, it, it's, it's unless I'm published somewhere or unless I'm on a TV show or unless I've been on a TV show or, you know, my local affiliate has covered my investigation, then I'm not valid. You know, and I think that validity, and it's the first thing I teach when I teach computer research classes, and I, I explain to students how, you know, for example, search engines work, and they're like, really? You know, it's not the best information, it's the most frequently hit or the highest paying information. And it's the same kind of thing here. We automatically assume if I'm looking for a, a group in, uh, in Maryland um, because I'm looking to pass off a case to them or something like that, you know, I, you know, the, the, the loudest, the, the biggest squeak gets the oil kind of thing. Like I, when I'm doing that kind of research, I find the people who are the first ones that come up in the search engine are the people who have the most kind of quote-unquote credibility because they've been covered by news sources and things like that. And I think that's not necessarily true. You know, it, it's funny when I look back, I did my, um, you know, when I was on Coast to Coast about two years ago, but the biggest hit that I got on my website and the most response was when I was on uh, 94.5, jamming 94.5. And at that point... Was I that when you were jam scammed? <laughs> I was not. They asked me to jam scam, actually. Um, and oddly enough, I could tell it was so long ago that we were actually talking about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So that's how long ago it was, uh, it was when we were, uh, you know, and it was still on. Um, I was going to say, you were talking about Buffy the Vampire Slayer like an hour before the show started tonight. So. <laughs> but, <laughs> true, it was still on. It was like, you know, what's going to happen next on Buffy? But, you know, I had just um, published some stuff in uh, Jeff's, uh, Jeff Blanger's book, um, Encyclopedia of Haunted Places, which, you know, is such a long time ago, and I, I know and I'm so much more well-informed now than I was then, and yet, at that point, I was an authority. Um, and and I got four or five times as many hits than I did going on anything that I've I've gone on since then, and it was so early on in my progress as kind of presenting this to the world that it's you know it's like really that's um, for you know that when I became like you know an authority on something because I was on Jam in ninety four five and people were able to hear me and connect with me and respond to me as opposed to the hours of, like, painstaking research that I put into a book that some people might read and some people might not read, or, or at least working on, um, working with people for things that they've experienced and, you know, quote-unquote cases, and, and I've gotten so much, I've done so much more since then, and yet back then I was considered an authority, and I look back now at some of the things even that I said in that interview, and I'm like, oh, wow, dude, that was so far off. I mean, that was being, like, thrown out cliches. You know, and I think that that's kind of the, the reality that we're in, even more in the reality TV shows. I think it's the, and it's molded by them, but I think it's the perception of the investigator that their worth is based not on on work that they've done, but rather work that's been covered. Well, we're actually coming up on the end of the show here. Uh, we've, we've got a few minutes left, so if anybody wants to jump in and hear, have their thoughts heard, 508-996-0500. And uh, I'll just say this too, uh, for all the all the producers out there of these paranormal shows that don't you know these different specials, these different pro whatever whatever it might be that's a paranormally themed uh, program. Understand this: most of us that are in this field are not good looking enough that just seeing ourselves on TV is enough of, <laughs> of a reason to do the, your show. So you got to start ponying up a little bit of something, and that goes for us especially, right, Chris? Oh, I'm, I'm a good-looking man, dude. Don't even put me up there. <laughs> yeah, I'm a handsome, handsome fella. Meanwhile, he won't hook up a camera for Spooky TV. So <laughs> what 
because he knows that we don't pay. Although, except that the camera adds 30 pounds. So. Yeah, and, and I, I'll seem to notice that when Paranormal State came calling, they didn't have any remote cameras there to shoot you while you were on the phone with Ryan Buell either. So, <laughs> Which I think is hilarious because I think, you know, you know, it, you know what? Honestly, my legs are really nice. I've had a lot of people compliment me on my legs. I think anything of me, like for my next book, I'm just going to take a picture of my calf muscles. There you go. Same here. You know, that, I, I get that oh, a lot, yeah. too. And, so but I'm just going to put that forward from now on. So, you're you're a very Italian guy. So. There, there you go. I'm very Italian guy. So, but I mean, you know, I, I think that, you know, and that's automatically then it's the people who are able to articulate um, who get the press and the people who aren't don't. And I think, you know, we know we know of some really amazing writers who aren't necessarily the best people to talk to um, on, you know, programs and won't be on TV shows and things like that who are blow away with their understanding of ghosts uh, other and, and other paranormal things, people, who can put a sentence together and look good and are flashy and are kind of P.T. barring them, kind of like things going on. So, you know, There's... there you go, whatever that means. There's room in this field for people that have style. There's room in this field for people that have substance. Uh, but we have no room for people that have style and substance. If that's just too much of one thing, Jeff Belanger. <laughs> oh, that would be me. Yeah, so there you go. <laughs> well, I, would, I, I, I don't know, Chris. You have your own unique style. Sure. You, you, if you rock the spooky South Coast hat, I don't know how I can possibly put you in style. Hey, what just, you know, whenever I am doing something that causes, you know, forces people to have to physically look at me, I do wear my spooky South Coast hat, so. <laughs> there you go. So when you're on... And my, wife is, and my wife is like, these are her wedding pictures. Are you sure you want to wear that? So I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I got it. So when you're on Paranormal Challenge, we can count on you to wear the hat? Um, I am going on Paranormal Challenge. I'm waiting for the call. Um, <laughs> I am <laughs> Massachusetts, going to... Massachusetts Paranormal Crossroads is going to be a team that will uh, yes. investigate a haunted location. And, of course, it's just me. Um, you know, for anyone who's, who's wondering, there is no other Crossroads. Crossroads is a site, not an uh, organization. Um, it, it will be me. Um, I will be definitely be wearing, um, you know, a, a, a Red Sox shirt. I will be showing off my amazing calf muscles, and I will be wearing a spooky South Coast hat with no Freddy Krueger keychain. <laughs> You'll get one. Now, uh, we only have about a minute left, but I will say this. Matt Moni said that he doesn't have a paranormal TV show. What he doesn't know is that there is one coming to Spooky TV that we haven't told him about yet. It's called Who Wants to Date a Ghost Hunter? And we're, we're basically going to put Matt Moni's out there. It's going to be the Matt Moni's Meat Market Show. And we're going to set him up on dates with different female paranormal <sighs> investigators. And they're going to go out and investigate together. And we're going to see if we can make a love connection while they try to find evidence of the paranormal. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, I'm all set with that. Come on. It sounds no, like a I'm great show. Chat room, what do you think? No. Come on. Let's get a petition going. Email us. SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com. It'll be didn't, fun. Didn't, uh, didn't Matt have a contract with uh, leg, cable to make documentaries, though? Uh, yeah. That's I've been still work- a thing? Uh, I've been sending them emails back and forth with stuff. I'm not going to be on it. I've just been ferrying them information. They're they're going to put other people on camera. You know me. I'm not one of these people that likes to be on these TV shows. Yeah, we're, we we were just pulling us like we would never do that to him. <laughs> I think we'll do it. <laughs> All right, well, <laughs> we're just about done for this week's show. Uh, so, Chris, what's coming up next week on the program while we have you here? Next week we have um, our new uh, UFO uh, from across the pond uh, reporter coming on. His name's Mike Hollowell. Um, I encourage anyone to go to uh, SpookySouthCoast.com and check out one of the articles that he has posted up there. Excellent. Um, he's going to be coming in 
uh, you know, we'll be celebrating, you know, our British by bringing in a British guy. I got to cut you off. End of the show. Up there you go, Mike Hollowell. There you go. Stay James also has a new article there, so read that too. Stay spectacular.